Welcome to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast. Decorating by the Book, hosted by Susie Chase from her dining room table in New York City. Join Susie for conversations about the latest and greatest interior design books with the authors who wrote them. My name is Newell Turner, and I'm really excited to be talking about my new book, Mexican, A Journey by Design, which has just been released through Vendome Press. And it's about Mexico, uh, interiors, architecture, but layered with cultural references that give you a better understanding of what you're seeing and where things come from in the design world. You have such an illustrious background as the creator of the Hearst Design Group in 2012 and editorial director of El Decor, House Beautiful, and Veranda. You won the coveted National Magazine Award for General Excellence, the industry equivalent of an Oscar. And now your latest book, Mexican, is a journey through design. You've been compared to the legendary culinary pioneer, Diana Kennedy, and what she did for Mexico. Mexican food. I just love your take as the non-native discovering the country's design and cultural details that are the essence of Mexican style. You wrote about how your story is a classic expat story. Would you kick things off talking a little bit about your path from magazines to Mexico? Sure. First of all, that reference design at Kennedy are some big shoes to fill because before her recent death, spent decades exploring the nuances and core corners of Mexico that are what, in my mind, are so really beautiful and amazing and rich. And it's just an incredible cultural treasure uh, in food. But equally, Mexico has this maybe even more important cultural treasure in design, the decorative arts, crafts, architecture, all of those things that relate to how we actually live day to day. And I believe it very firmly that there is so much more opportunity in a bigger, broader, more dynamic cultural exchange between the United States and Mexico. Um, We are neighbors, but we oddly know so little about Mexico. And there's so much to gain on both sides from more of that dialogue. I didn't start it, for sure. It's happening. Food world, the art world, and now more and more in the decorative arts. So it's just a wonderfully exciting thing that I'm now uh, indulging myself in the latter part of my career with doing that deep dive that you know you get to do sometimes with things you feel passionate about. And I love Mexico. I, I've been spending a lot of more and more and more time. I've just come back from almost two years there. Uh, I had to return to the States for a few months to deal with some things, but I'm missing it. Uh, missing getting back to my city of Merida in Yucatan. And um, anyway, it's just a wonderful place. And I, you know, spent so many years, I I was in magazine publishing for 30 plus years across a number of great magazines, uh, Metropolitan Home, House and Garden, um, House Beautiful, where we won the General Excellence Award for the first time in that magazine's over a hundred year history. And I founded some magazines um, that were a chain of magazines in the Hamptons, Palm Beach, and Connecticut, now also in New York. But that passion then in my magazine career was always pursuing American design or design in the United States. And in that process, you know, I kept running across references because I love design history 
I kept running across references or roots in Mexican design, you know, clearly along the border states, but increasingly elsewhere in the country. And it just was always in kind of on my back burner, I would say, of something that I really wanted to go further with. And now I'm doing that. Uh, I, I like to think this book is kicking off the next stage of my career. You know, while I was flipping through this book, I was wondering if... And I wanted to ask you, if more people traveled and they fell in love with a country, um, do you think they would in turn fall in love with the people and that would basically eliminate strife and misunderstanding in the world? I believe that firmly. I don't have children of my own, but I have eight nephews and nieces. And I have this tradition with them that I've taken all of them on a trip to some part of the world to open their eyes, even if it's just one time. but. Interestingly, it's led to them traveling much, much more uh, around the world um, because I believe that very firmly that if we go out of our American shell and travel, we find that the world is not a whole lot different from life here in the United States on a fundamental level. People are very similar and design is <clears throat> a cultural treasure of humankind, I believe. And that sounds a very grand, but it is. Uh, the, the, the cultural treasures of people around the world are the beauty of what humankind is able to create. And I do think that Americans should travel more, and it doesn't have to be far. I mean, Mexico is an easy destination, yet it's a world apart in many ways uh, because of its you know, cultural and historical traditions um, or legacy through colonialism and independence and monarchy and all these different things they've gone through in their struggle um, to become who they are today. And, um, you know, once you get to know people, just changes your perspective on the world. And um, I do think it's very important for people to travel and open their eyes to what what is on this planet, you know, floating through space. It's it's just magnificent. I mean, it's all very grand speak, but it is. Uh, and getting to know people is a part of that. And there's always something to learn. You never see people the same way again or a place the same way again. We are all one people in the end. And um, I think the better we know each other, the less strife there would be in the world. So Stephen Drucker sent you a text that said, quote, are you working on a book? <laughs> Could you please tell that story? I will. Uh, Stephen Drucker is a very important person to me. He has been an incredible mentor over my career. And he's the only person I worked for in my career who I had a sort of symbiotic understanding of. I mean, we I always felt like we could complete each other's sentences. We had such a, 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 a understanding of what we both thought and how we saw things. So it was one of the great pleasures of my career working with him. Then we went different ways, uh, stayed in touch. And then suddenly I was at a point where I was parting ways with Hearst Publishing and I started, you know, honing in on Mexico. I had been going to Mexico yearly for longer and longer stays. And I was doing posts on Instagram, like, you know, everybody does when they travel. And Stephen noticed it. He sent me this message. He goes, are you working on a book? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, I actually have a, a, a sort of 
visual proposal that I was putting together just as the pandemic broke loose. And it's just been sort of sitting here. I haven't done anything with it. And he goes, well, let me take a look at that. (laughs) And, you know, his trust in me is, you know, I don't even know how to describe how invaluable it is, but he has been the most amazing guide in this process of creating a book. And it started with that instant message on Instagram asking if I was doing a book. And I had an idea of how I wanted to do it. I mean, it's a sort of visual narrative of my journey into Mexico. It's it's certainly not an academic or all-encompassing view of Mexican design, but it is a deeply informed view. And a view from my perspective of knowing a lot about design in the United States and other parts of the world. So I like to believe that I brought this sort of informed perspective to it. And Stephen got that immediately. I have to give him credit. It was his idea to structure the book by decorative periods for each chapter. And I didn't quite get that in the beginning, but then I realized as I got into it, it was just a very natural, beautiful way of organizing my journey in a way. Instead of it just being this rambling narrative of my experiences, it gave it a beautiful structure and a way for people to kind of dive into the book in different places. It's not something that you have to start from beginning to end and go from beginning to end. You can dive in here or there, and it works. So Susanna Ordovas, is that how you pronounce her last name? Ordovas. Ordovas. Yeah. Gave you the highest compliment (laughs) when she wrote, It is perhaps ironic that a foreigner, an American from Mississippi, has been able to capture with such grace and insight the complex essence of Mexico's style and design legacy. But this is a book that no one else could have put together. Were you ever apprehensive about creating a book about a completely different culture? Um... I wouldn't be truthful if I didn't say I worried about things. Um, As I said, the idea of the book, you know, and my proposal took shape initially right before the pandemic, and that sort of closed things down. And then I used the period, the first two years of the pandemic, really, you know, doing a deep dive into the history of Mexico, cultural, political, religious, all of those things, because I don't feel like You can really understand design unless you understand where it comes from and how it took shape. And and that goes back to uh, a degree that I have um, from the University of Mississippi uh, and the Center for the Study of Southern Culture. That program is a very broad liberal arts program that teaches you to study a region, a people, a place through multiple avenues. So, you know, I had that sort of educational background um, that was focused at the time on the South. But then throughout my career in publishing, you know, each magazine that I worked for had an audience and you had to understand that audience and what they wanted or didn't know that they wanted. And you had to understand or where what you were putting on the page came from. So I felt very confident in my ability to kind of observe. I'm an observer, <laughs> by the way, and I like to make connections uh, between things and and through different avenues, like I've just said, geography, archaeology, history, politics, blah, blah, blah. And so I felt pretty confident, but I have to say, you know, I, I felt a little nervous because I'm like, who am I, this gringo from the United States, think, think he is, to come in 
and understand the culture of Mexico. But the response already, in particular, the response I'm getting from Mexicans and Mexican-Americans in the United States has just been um, really rewarding. I guess it's just the best way of saying it, because as I'm starting to talk to people that are seeing and buying the book, they get it and they are thrilled with it. And they, I feel like I immediately have their trust in that I, they realize I understood something or I wasn't coming at it from a very detached foreign perspective. I was deeply in the subject and deeply in the culture. And so, you know, I was a little, you know, nervous about it in the beginning, but I, I feel more and more confident. I mean, I guess I was mostly nervous because there are a lot of experts on many subjects in Mexico, people whose work I admire greatly. But um, I, it, it, I think I accomplished it. And I say that hesitantly and humbly, but I think the response has just been great from people. And that response is not just like, oh, you did a beautiful book. It's like, oh, you got this and you understood that. And mm, even Mexican-Americans saying I didn't like make that connection before. I think the book is working. I guess long story short. So I'd love to chat about a few styles in the book. And the first is Baroque. You write, the Baroque style was particularly fortuitous for both the Spanish and the advanced civilizations in Mexico of the late 16th century. How so? Uh, it was highly developed. I mean, the artistry was highly developed. They were doing, you know, things on par with the Egyptians and language was very developed. The written language was very developed. You know, the Baroque is very exuberant. And a lot of Mesoamerican cultures were very exuberant. I mean, we see the pyramids today in Mexico that are really not fully restored to what they were at the time. I mean, many of the pyramids were highly decorated with concrete or plaster, a thing called chikum that they work with in uh, Yucatan in particular. Um, and painted bright red. Um, you know, the Mexicans were, or Mesoamericans were working with dyes that were highly prized in Europe, purples made from mollusk shells, um, greens. Um, it was just a much more, to begin with, colorful world than we even imagine today. And the uh, carving work was extensive and beautiful and so much of it is still being you know discovered a lot of it is still being discovered but so much of it is still being restored um that we're only really now just beginning to see some of that beautiful work um that existed and so the reason i said that is the baroque was exuberant if you if you would use one word to describe baroque is exuberant and mesoamerican decorative arts were exuberant in their own way and I think there was through that, uh, you know, highly, you know, flourished design that created a place where the two cultures could find some commonality. So next is neoclassical. The Second French Empire from 1852 to 1870 had a brief and ill-fated monarchy in Mexico. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, the French tried after uh you know, Spain was losing control of their territory, uh, New Spain. 
The French tried twice to establish uh, monarchies in Mexico, and um, but they didn't last long. Uh, but at the same time, French design, like it has really around the world, even in Asia, has always had a refinement that has appealed to people of all of many cultures, United States especially. And in Mexico, the timing of it was with the revolution in France and independence of Mexico. And a lot of that imagery got melded in Mexico. Um, when Mexico's, one of Mexico's longtime presidents slash sort of dictator um, yes. around the turn of the 1900s, yeah, he was a Francophile of the highest level. And because of that, a lot of his push in developing Mexico, uh, especially in building projects and things like that, had a heavy French influence to it. Uh, even in my city of Merida, when he was planning to come to the, make a visit to the city, uh, and again, this was around 1900, um, they created this boulevard similar to the Champs-Élysées in Paris that was built and then lined, and then it became lined with mansions that were the result of the Hennequin fortunes that were made there, all very in the French influence. Even my house uh, in Merida, which is in a barrio called San Cristobal, it is a Spanish colonial structure, <clears throat> but like iced, literally icing on the cake in French decorative arts. So all of the plaster work and things like that are very French neoclassical. You know, the Mexicans use that uh, as, you know, ways of symbolizing independence and all of that sort of fever of independence that happened, you know, with the American Revolution, the French Revolution, uh, and the revolution in Mexico. So that brings me to Spanish colonial houses, and I'd love to hear about those. Well, I love them. You know, <laughs> part of my fascination, big part of my fascination with Mexico is the different European influence that happened there um, that came out of Spain, which for I think like a thousand years or hundreds of years had had a very peaceful existence uh, after the Moors were expelled from Spain back to Africa. Their cultural influence remained and Christians, Jews, and Muslims lived in a more or less harmony before the Inquisition. And, um, and that harmony, out of that harmony came a very particular style that has cultural references that go back to Persia, frankly, um, but through the Muhadar uh, out of North Africa. And that all came over to, to New Spain in the process of the Spanish colonizing. So, you know, that use of courtyards in particular, always for a long time, at least wanted a courtyard house because I love that sense of indoor-outdoor living and that sense of inward-looking outdoor space. That's what I would say the big you know, influence um, out of Spain is through that sort of convincia, which was that harmonious period in the, in the decorative world in Spain between Jews, Christians, and Muslims. 
it's, it's just a really beautiful, rich period. So moving on to Art Deco, you say the most fascinating contribution was a variation of Art Deco called Mayan Deco. What's that? So, you know, it, it's, it was fascinating to me and, um, and it continues to really fascinate me that Deco had, I would say, a much bigger impact on Mexico than even the United States because I feel like the Mexican craftspeople had traditions of working in stone and then cement plaster and other plasters. And that's all conducive to the construction and embellishment of deco architecture, not to mention the sort of very geometric oriented design of Maya traditions in particular were not so alien to deco that came from Europe. And what I find lovely is deco expressed itself at every level in Mexico and is still widely visible, you know, from big buildings to some of the most humble houses uh, in neighborhoods that have deco facades. They might have a Spanish colonial interior, but the facade was updated, let's say, in a deco period, a deco style. And because of that sort of geometric, let's just say, um, relationship between deco and Mayan traditions, there evolved a very kind of distinct, I think it's maybe one of the few distinct branches of deco, it's called Mayan deco. And it manifested in patterns, decorative patterns on the buildings that are this sort of interesting melding of the two. Like, is it deco or is it Mayan? And then also in um, the relief work where deco might be, well, deco in the United States and Europe was much more Northern European in style. This was much more Mayan in orientation and like, you know, embellishments, uh, figurines and things like that were much more Mayan. And so it, it developed its own stink expression. And because it was so prevalent, there is a lot to see. Moving on to modernism. When I think about Mexico, I think about ancient traditions, not modernism. Talk a little bit about the modernist movement. Modernism, you know, in Mexico is really interesting because the modernism movement was really driven by, in Europe and in the United States, driven by machine-made, heavy precision. And in Mexico, the history of Mexican design is very hands-on. So Mexican expressions in modernism have a bit of softness that humanizes, in my mind, modernism and makes it much more livable. I mean, in Europe and the United States, modernists were always struggling with how to make their structures or their architecture um, softer in some way. Um, and it was often through textiles. Uh, a lot of women in the modernist movement were relegated to bringing that sort of the textiles to projects that gave it a sense of warmth and livability and just humanity. Um, and less so machine-made. In Mexico, you have this wonderful expression through, you know, the legendary um, Barragan and all of his disciples in Mexico. The architecture school in Guadalajara at the time was a hothouse of modernism and architects that came out of that in Mexico. But, you know, in the construction methods that were traditional to Mexico, it's all very handmade, not machine-made. And so, that handmaking of modernist shapes and expressions 
brought a warmth to modernism that just really made it livable. Instead of poured concrete, you'd have stone or terracotta tiles. Um, walls had a bit of texture and were not machine made and super smooth. And then, you know, Barragan's use of glass and vast expanses of a glass were unlike the United States in particular, which is often structures are often outward looking. His use of glass was inward looking to the house compound and framing internal views, courtyards, as let's say, that created a sense of intimacy that often modernist architecture lacks, in my mind. And in short, Mexico brought a warmth to modernism that I think we've all benefited from as we've looked to it. Also, forgetting one important thing, color too. You can't talk about Mexico without thinking of color. And the architects working in modernism down there used color, you know, Barragon again, you know, in his pink. Um, but the use of color brought a humanity to modernism that I think it was lacking and that that other architects around the world struggle to achieve. It's interesting because it seems to be the only style in the book that you say is still evolving today. In the future, will we look back at this time and call it contemporary? Will it become a period of design? I don't know. Uh, I think of contemporary as what's now and evolving, but it may involve, it may, you know, in, in retrospect, in the future, it may have distinct parameters and um, elements that make it a very specific period. Who knows at this point? But, you know, modernism has has and is evolving in through contemporary work in Mexico. Okay, so a little bit earlier you talked about courtyards. And I am always intrigued by homes like what you see in Mexico because so often it doesn't look like much from the outside. And then you take a few steps in and enter a gorgeous oasis. And you always wanted a courtyard house and a historic renovation project. So you and Douglas Clark, your partner, restored a circa 1900 house that had been converted into a small school and then abandoned. So what about this place spoke to you and Doug? This is the kind of classic center courtyard, patio courtyard, meaning it's it's all paved with stone. And, you know, our plantings, uh, we have some palms in the ground, but, you know, the rest of it is with plantings and pots and things. What I love about it is the natural way you move in and out. Uh, <laughs> my great-grandmother's house in Mississippi, one of my great-grandmother's house, her kitchen and dining room were off a wing of the back of the house. So to get to the dining room or the kitchen, you had to go onto the porch to get to them. And, you know, in my particular memory... I loved that experience in, in the morning of having to go outside to get to the kitchen for a cup of coffee or, you know, Thanksgiving dinner rolled in and out of the dining room onto the porch. Um, you know, you get that experience with courtyard houses. And I think that's why I'm so attracted to them. My kitchen, you have to go outside to get to it. Uh, you can circumnavigate the house through rooms to get around to it if there's if it's raining, but most of the time, we're passing through the courtyard all the time between rooms. And I love that. I mean, I, I love the architecture of Northern uh, Africa in Morocco. And I feel like our house is a lot like what's called the Riyadh there. Uh, they're center courtyard houses. They look like nothing on the outside. Typically, 
you walk through a door and you're in this oasis paradise that is your own little world. And I love like that idea. I love that idea in New York with my apartment, by the way, of being in my own little world in the middle of this frantic, chaotic city. And I just have more space in Mexico. Um, (laughs) and and, And then I have the outdoors too as a part of that experience. So I guess that's a little bit of my psychology of why I like that so much. You know, we have one room at the end of the courtyard, the big walls open to the courtyard and the center courtyard. And then the other side open, big doors open onto a courtyard behind the house where the pool is. And we love sitting in there with both of those walls completely open, like a huge breezeway. And you can sit there at night and you can watch the moon come up over the um, other end of the house. Uh, You can watch storms roll in from the Gulf of Mexico. You can sit there in a rainstorm and it's like being in some deeply tropical place. Um, It's, it's lovely. The courtyards, you know, the American way of living and, and, and and building domestic architecture was all about looking out, you know, from, you know, houses in the country looking out to houses in urban developments. It's all about being inside and looking out. I like this really kind of introspective view on this very inner experience. And you get that with so much of the um, domestic architecture in Mexico. Um, So, yeah, I I love that. And I like having my own little world that I can control. (laughs) I'm a Virgo. And so I like being able (laughs) to have that little control of my life, some little part of my life. So where can we find you on the web and social media? So on Instagram, I'm TNT3. Those are my initials, Thomas Newell Turner 3. And on Facebook, I'm Newell Turner. You can find me in both places. I say I'm much more active on Instagram. And I, you know, because the two can cross um, post, I typically post on Instagram and include it posting over to Facebook too. But I'm a very visual person and and I I see things in a visual way. Um, And so Instagram has been really my my place in, in social media where I like to share and explore follow my journey. This is a stunning, stunning book. Thank you, Newell, for coming on Decorating by the Book podcast. It was my pleasure. It was my pleasure. I actually love podcasts, and um, I think they're they're so useful um, in, in, in listening to them. There's always rich content, but also you can listen to them in all sorts of places, and I love that. So thank you for having me. Follow Decorating by the Book on Instagram. And thanks for listening to the one and only Interior Design Book Podcast, Decorating by the Book.